fact, they sung in about three minutes what I'm going to take 40 minutes to say. But uh, really uh, encourages our heart as we think about uh, trusting in the Lord. As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the false teachers that had been in opposition to Paul had been bragging about their superior knowledge and understanding of spiritual mysteries. There have been a number of comparisons that Paul has drawn to himself and the false teachers. He is demonstrating that in the worldly understanding of many of the Corinthian believers, that even in those worldly standards, Paul was far superior than these false teachers. These false teachers wanted to brag about their spiritual understanding, but they could not compare to the revelations that Paul had received. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 reads, Boasting is necessary. Necessary for the Corinthians, that is, though it's not profitable. Paul, again, denounces what he's about to say because he recognizes that this isn't the way a spiritual man talks. But he says, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So Paul's going to begin to talk about these visions and revelations. Visions are subsets of revelation. Revelation is any way in which God discloses himself to mankind. They include visions, but it could also be a visitation of an angel of the Lord. It also could be dreams. It also could be many different forms that Revelation takes. In the New Testament era, many of the people believed that having a physical infirmity was a sign of God's displeasure. The rabbis had taught that. And so the disciples asked Jesus in John chapter 9, verse 2, concerning the man that was born blind. The disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus' response, it was not this man nor his parents, but that the glory of God would be revealed. Even in the Old Testament, as we looked at the book of Job at Our Sunday evening services, we spent a lot of time going through the book of Job, for once again, it taught that suffering was not necessarily associated with one's sinfulness, but God has other purposes purposes in mind. But for some, Paul's physical problems gave cause and even credence to question the legitimacy of his apostleship. It was one more way in which the false teachers sought to undermine the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They threw up in his face the the issue that he had many physical infirmities. And we saw in the weeks gone by that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, they referred to Paul's physical weaknesses. His bodily presence is weak, they said. If Paul could heal others... Why couldn't he heal himself? As we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as I was preparing this message, it kept getting longer and longer and longer. And as time went on, I developed three messages out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But then I thought, as I developed these three messages, that uh, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't real sure that you would enjoy it because I got involved in a lot of minutia and uh, was failing to see the really big picture. So this morning I've decided not to preach three messages. I'm going to preach just one. And it's going to be very applicational in tone. Because this is a passage that isn't primarily talking about the revelations which Paul received, but the lesson that he learned. The experiential lesson of when he was weak, he was Strong, But there are some very practical applications for us today for, in a similar fashion to those false teachers of the New Testament, there is a name it and claim it theology of today. It is taught that if a person has enough faith, they will be healed of any 
disease. That all one has to do is exercise enough personal faith in the power of Christ and they will be healed. However, Paul's physical infirmity was not a sign of spiritual weakness. Just the opposite. Paul's infirmities were a sign of his spiritual strength. Paul had been the recipient of many revelations. And the physical infirmity that he had was in conjunction with those revelations. It was given to him to keep him from being conceited. And Paul learned through this experience that when he was weak, he was actually strong. Today, we want to learn four things. First, God does not grant every request to be healed. Secondly, it is not God's purpose or design to grant every prayer request to be healed. That is not within the sovereign will of God. Let me say that again. It is not God's will, purpose, or design to grant every request for us to be healed. Thirdly, even the fervent prayers of righteous people offered in faith do not always bring about healing. And number four, God is good when he does not grant our request to be healed. So as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look primarily at this prayer that the Apostle Paul offered to be healed of what he refers to in this passage as a thorn in the flesh. Let's begin with the occasion for Paul's prayer to be healed. Once again, Paul had received a number of revelations. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Some of these revelations that Paul received were quite outstanding. If you look at verse 7, it says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Paul refers to these as surpassing greatness. These were some very incredible revelations that he had received. One such revelation is recounted for us in verses 2 through 4. In these verses, Paul is either given a vision of heaven or actually bodily transported to heaven He is not sure which. If you look at verse 2, Paul writes in the third person out of a sense of humility, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven in Greek thought refers to the abode of God. The Greeks taught about three levels of heaven. They would correspond to, first, the atmosphere in which we we move. And they would call that the first heaven. The second heaven, the Greeks referred to as the abode of the stars and the planets, as we talk about the, the heavenlies. And then the third heaven is the abode of God, where God dwells with his people that we usually describe as heaven. Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven. Verse 3. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. repeats that. And then says, was caught up to paradise. Synonym for heaven and the third heaven. And heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. So Paul could not find the words to describe that revelation. And even if he could find the words to describe it, Paul says that he was forbidden to describe what he saw. Verse 4. And heard inexpressible words, words that he couldn't put, ideas that he couldn't put into words, which a man is not permitted to speak. That he wasn't given the freedom To reveal to others. That's all he has to say about that. Paul just says, you want to boast in visions? I've had a lot of them. 
And I had one 14 years ago, which would have put it about uh, 42 A.D., would have put it in the very beginning of his ministry, right after his conversion. It says, I was, was caught up into heaven, whether physically or, or in a vision, I don't know. But I saw things that I can't put into words. And I saw things that I'm not allowed to say. And as a result, the revelations could have served as a cause for Paul to boast. Verse 5, on, such, on behalf of such a man will I boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. For 14 years, Paul had not disclosed the fact that he had had this vision. Paul didn't speak a lot about his visions. So I'm not going to boast in that. He says, I'm going to boast in regard to my weaknesses. Verse 6, For if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So Paul is saying that there's not much value in my pointing to these revelations. You have to judge me on the basis of what you see, And what you know. And it's a test that Paul is going to apply to these false teachers. Because they're going to claim revelations that they did not have. They're going to to claim knowledge which they don't possess. And Paul is just going to say, judge them on the basis of what you see and what you know. Judge them on that basis. Judge me on that basis as well. But now Paul is going to give us some theological perspective on the whole idea of suffering and our spiritual condition. Paul writes, In order that Paul would not become conceited, as a result of receiving these revelations, he was afflicted. Notice verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, NIV, to keep me from being conceited. That's the reason. For this reason, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, as we think about this thorn in the flesh, there are some things I I want to point out. First, the affliction that Paul is speaking of was physical in nature. He refers to it as a thorn in the flesh, a constant aggravation in his physical body. What that thorn in the flesh is, we don't know. It's never revealed in the scriptures. We do know that Paul suffered a great deal physically. We went over last week some of those conditions that he experienced, having been beaten with rods and and whipped. And some of those had ongoing problems that were associated with it. One can only imagine the arthritis that he must have uh, been experiencing. Then there was the fact that he was crippled from being beaten with rods. We know that from church history. But that condition is a result of the persecution, not as a result of this vision that he had. So there were many physical conditions that the Apostle Paul encountered. One of them was that he had very bad eyesight, which he refers to in the book of Galatians. Paul writes in 4.15, Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul says to the Galatians, you are such wonderful people. If it were possible, you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me. Paul ends Galatians chapter 6 with, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. The Apostle Paul did not actually 
pen the letters that he wrote to the um, churches. Rather, uh, he used a, a secretary, if you will, and dictated the letters and they were written. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter in the way that I write. Paul is writing to the second Thessalonians, to the second letter to the Thessalonians, and he speaks of them being disquieted, being upset, as though they had received a letter from the Apostle Paul. Paul sets the record straight and says, I didn't write that to you. And then he says, there's a distinguishing mark on any letter you'll ever get from me. And that is it's signed by me. And in huge letters. And the reason he signed in these huge letters is probably in the vernacular of the day, he was probably legally blind. Could hardly see at all. And so he wrote these, these huge letters that uh, this was indeed coming from him. This affliction is referred to as a gift from God. Notice verse 7. But for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, now these words, there was given to me. Literally, there was gifted to me. That Paul was presented with a present from God. A present that was this thorn in the flesh. But Satan's purpose in this affliction was to torment the Apostle Paul. Notice verse 7. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. The NIV translates it, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This incident is very similar to that in the book of Job. In the book of Job, Job is afflicted. Job has many physical problems. But God was at work. And at the very same time, Satan was at work. And the ends and purposes in this ordeal were quite different on the part of God and on the part of Satan. On the part of God, it was going to be an opportunity for Job to demonstrate the reality of his faith and his righteousness and his holiness as he would refuse to curse God and to die. Satan's design in all of these afflictions was to cause Job to curse God and die. So that those hardships trials, difficulties that come into our lives have very different designs by God and by Satan. But they need to be seen under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. This is what God is doing. Now, Satan's going to use it. And Satan is going to try to corrupt it. Satan's going to try to pervert it. And Satan is going to try to destroy us through it. But the sovereign purpose of God is always good, is always right, is always holy. So once again, at the end of verse 7, the Apostle Paul asserts to keep me from exalting myself. He repeats that. So bookend is to keep me from being conceited. To keep me from exalting myself. And to keep me from being conceited and keep me from exalting myself. There's the bookends. And in between, an oh yes, Satan desired to torment me. Buffet me. It uh, literally means to beat up. Uh, Satan was going to put him through the ringer as a result of this affliction. So, let's look at Paul's uh, decision. 
Paul prayed to be healed. Verse 8. Concerning this, so this refers to the thorn in the flesh. Concerning this thorn in the flesh, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So now we want to look at this prayer that the Apostle Paul offered that the thorn in the flesh would be taken away from him. And as we look at this prayer that the thorn in the flesh would be taken away from him, I want to do it in the confines of the name it and claim it theology of today. There are those that would teach that there are some criteria that one must meet if they are going to pray and expect that the Lord is going to grant healing. But if you meet that criteria, then the Lord will always grant the healing. You just have to meet the criteria. Well, we're going to see in this particular portion of Scripture that Paul uses, excuse me, Paul meets every facet of the criteria that those of the name and claimant theology want to put forth, and yet he is not healed. And we want to see why. First, it was a repeated prayer. It was a repeated prayer. We're looking at the criteria. And notice that Paul prayed this repeatedly. Three times he prayed that the thorn of the flesh would be removed. Secondly, it was a fervent prayer. It was a prayer that he desired with his whole heart. This wasn't something that he entered into lightly or that he was not sincere about. If you notice in verse 8, the NAS translates this, I entreated the Lord. NIV says, I pleaded with the Lord. It would be appropriate to translate this word as, I begged the Lord. It isn't as though Paul was indifferent about his situation. He really wanted to be free from this thorn in the flesh. So he begged. He begged. I believe that he did that in reality. One of the positions that we have in prayer. I did a Sunday school class on the positions of prayer. I find them to be absolutely fascinating in the Scriptures. Sometimes you stand in prayer. Sometimes you lie flat on the ground in prayer. All of the different postures of prayer are symbolic of what that prayer is intended to convey. And when we get down on our knees, it is a posture of begging. It's a posture of recognizing authority over. And so I believe Paul got down on his knees and begged. Perhaps with tears in his eyes. Saying, oh God, won't you take this away from me? It is enough. I want to be delivered. And nothing happened. So again, later, at some time future, Paul prayed, begged, implored God, take this away from him. But God didn't. And so again, at some time distant future, he prayed, and he begged. And he asked God to take this away from him. And God didn't. He begged. Next, I would point out that it was a specific prayer. It was not ambiguous. Verse 8, that it might depart from me. And I be take it away from me. It wasn't as though he was nebulous. So often these people in name it, claim it, say you've got to be very specific. You've got to identify clearly what you want from God. As though God 
doesn't know your heart and mind. As though God might be confused. I don't know. It drives me nuts, this stuff. But anyway, the idea is it must be specific. Well, it's a specific prayer. Take it away. Even I can understand that. I think God could understand that. Take it away. Fourthly, it was a prayer that was offered by a righteous individual. It was offered by a man of faith. It was offered by a person who was in right standing with God. So often in the name it and claim it theology, it is, well, if it isn't answered, obviously then you are out of fellowship with God. Here is a person who was not out of fellowship with God. Verse 8, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times. Who is the I? Well, it's Paul. Who is Paul? Go back to 11.23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I am more so. Far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was spent in the deep. I can go on. If anybody was committed to Christ, it's Paul. If anybody was walking with God, it was Paul. If anyone was a man of faith, it was Paul. And it's in the very context of Paul receiving a revelation that was so incredible that Paul says, it's impossible for me to convey it to you and furthermore, God has forbidden me to do so. It's that person with that kind of relationship, with that knowledge of God, with that intimacy, with that relationship, with that blessed status that is crying out to God to be healed. And it is not Granted, if anyone meets the criteria of the name it, payment theology to be healed, it's Paul. But he's not. Application. Two simple ideas. Number one, there is no formula that guarantees our desired outcome in offering prayer. Let me say that again. There is no formula that guarantees our desired outcome in offering prayer. It's not a matter of the way you do it. It's not a matter of methodology. It's not a matter of you meet A, B, C, and D, and this is going to happen. Rather, we must see Consistently in Scripture, the answer to prayer is directly related to the will of God. The answer to prayer is directly related to the will of God. It's that which God wants for us. And in this instance, God wanted Paul to have this thorn in the flesh. And there are times that God wants for us things that we may not want for ourselves. Things that we may find difficult. Things that we wish were different. Things that we wish we didn't have to go through. And things that we might find ourselves very sincerely in faith begging for God to take them away. And he chooses not to do so. So let's look at God's response to Paul's prayer to be healed. What is God's response? It's found in verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
God responded to Paul. And he said to me. And he said to me. We use that vernacular rather freely in our jargon today. And we might talk about what the Lord said to me. Uh, When we say that, we're not referring to an audible voice. We're not referring to a revelation. We're not referring to a visit by God. In this particular instance, it well may have been a revelation that God had given to Paul. In keeping with the passage that's talking about a number of revelations that he had received. But this is the message that Paul received from God. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God did not grant the request of Paul. He did not remove the thorn in the flesh. Instead, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Putting it in other words, you do not need anything more than my grace. Paul, I've given you everything you need. I've given you my grace. And I want you to know that's enough. That's enough. God did minister encouragement and comfort to Paul. For he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And, he said, power is perfected in weakness. And God did actively work in the life of Paul. For he strengthened Paul as found in the words, for power is perfected in weakness. So let's look at Paul's response. So how did Paul accept that news? That response on the part of God. Paul's response to God not healing him. First, he did not view his prayer as a failure. Verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And now these words, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. As a result of this circumstance, namely, unanswered prayer, Paul found something to boast in. Glorying in our infirmities is much more noble than merely submitting to them. Paul didn't simply resign himself. He just didn't say, oh well, I guess that's what God wants. Or, oh well, I guess that's what God wants, and I've got to endure. Paul said, most gladly, therefore. Paul was happy with the response. No one glories in afflictions simply because they are afflictions. But if by faith we can see them to be the divinely appointed means whereby we become more effective witnesses and more closely united to the Savior, then we'll gladly glory in them. He wasn't happy for the pain, and he wasn't happy for the suffering, but he was delighted in the results. In what this meant for his life personally, and for his ministry. Paul's weaknesses were used of God in some unbelievable ways. First, I want to point to his ministry. Because this is about his ministry. This whole passage is about these false teachers that are pointing the finger at the Apostle Paul and saying, God isn't going to use somebody weak like that. God isn't going to bless somebody like that. And it's proof positive that this guy ought to be ignored. Because look at him. Look at his physical condition. But God regularly used in his sovereignty the physical limitations of the Apostle Paul. 
I want you to turn with me in your Bible so you can see this. And maybe even mark it, because these are the kinds of things that we read through the Bible. A lot of times you just kind of glance over. But I don't want you to glance over. I want you to see this. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. Galatians 4, 13. Appreciate hearing all the rustling of the pages. Thank you for turning there with me. Galatians 4.13 But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Paul says, you know, you remember that the reason the very first time I preached the gospel to you was because I was sick. Paul was too sick to travel. Paul had made plans to move on. But in the sovereignty of God, he was too sick to travel. But in the grace of God, he was not too sick to preach. And so, Paul proclaimed the gospel to the Galatians. And notice the next verse. Verse 14. By the grace of God... Paul's physical condition, which would have been very off-putting to the Galatians in normal conditions, was, in fact, appreciated by the Galatians. Verse 14, And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. (laughs) But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Evidently, this physical problem that Paul had in this particular instance in Galatia, he says, you didn't despise and you didn't hate. Whatever this sickness was, Apostle Paul was not a pleasant guy to be around. I don't know if he smelled. I don't know if he stank. I don't know if it created some deformity. I don't know what it was. Maybe they were afraid of catching it. I don't know. But Paul says that in my... Physical condition. It would have been very easy for you to be put off. But in the grace of God, not only were you not put off by it, but you accepted me like an angel of God. You accepted me like somebody who was sent from God to you. You treated me with such respect and listened so profoundly that it was as if Jesus Christ himself was talking to you. Because by the grace of God, Paul was the messenger of God. And in any earthly expectation, one would wonder, why would anyone come to faith in that particular venue, at that particular time, under those particular circumstances? And the answer is, Because the only way that people ever come to faith is by grace of God. And God delights in working through our weaknesses. So, God regularly used the physical limitations that Paul experienced as a means of prospering the gospel. I believe that one of the reasons that Paul begged for this thorn in the flesh to be revealed 14 years ago, very early on in his ministry, was that he believed it would be a impedance. It would bring about limitations. I believe that he thought there are ways that I could serve so much more effectively if only I didn't have This thorn in the flesh. But God had to teach Paul that the effectiveness of his ministry was not as a result of Paul's physical condition, but the working of a sovereign God by means of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose and ends. Secondly, not only did Paul 
experienced this power in his ministry, but he experienced it in his personal life as well. For notice verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul learned more about the power of God to sustain him as a result of his illness than he learned from all the revelations he received and would have learned from being physically healed. Now, let me say that again. Paul learned more about the power of God to sustain him as a result of his illnesses than he learned from all the revelations he had received and would have learned from physically being healed. Remember, Paul isn't even able to convey the revelation that he received. Instead, Paul conveys this prayer and the response, which teaches us that the prayer and the response was more valuable than the revelation which he received. Paul learned more by submitting to this sovereign will of God than he learned in a vision. We have the very same testimony by Job. At the end of the book of Job, this righteous man, Job, the person who is the most righteous person on the face of the earth, by God's estimation, when the book begins, this righteous individual says, at the end of the book, after having suffered at the hands of God, he says, Behold, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. It is in the difficulties, it is in the limitations, it is in the weaknesses that we are driven to God. And we learn more about God in those experiences than we even learn from the written page. Now let me qualify that immensely and say, the written page helps us incredibly understand what we're going through. But the point is the experience brings the application. The, the, the experience brings us to a place of embracement. It's one thing to hear about the power of God. It's another to live under the power of God. It's one thing to speak of what God can do and another to experience what God can do. And Paul saw it visibly in his ministry. And Paul experienced it in his own body. And it's important to remember that the physical suffering did not end. The thorn in the flesh was not removed. But he was given the grace that was sufficient to endure it and to endure it in such a way that he embraced it gladly for the cause of Christ and what he had learned. Verse 10. Therefore I am well content. Therefore I am well content. NIV translates it, I delight in weaknesses. The word Translator here means to be content, well-pleased, to delight in, to prefer above all else. Paul said, if it's between having this thorn in the flesh removed and not experiencing this power of God, or having this thorn in the flesh and knowing the power of God in my life, I'll take the thorn in the flesh every time. I'm glad for that, Paul says. And I'm going to boast in that, not in my revelation. It was not the thorn in the flesh that Paul delighted in, but he delighted in the experience for Christ's sake. What he himself learned through the experience and what he could teach others 
through this experience. For this wasn't a message in isolation. But it was a message to all those people at Corinth. And their perception of life. And their perception of spiritual life. And these false teachers that were knocking them down and oppressing them. And teaching them that if they had some difficulty in their life, it must mean that God was frowning on them. God was displeased with them. God was not accepting them. And these false teachers were manipulating them. Trying to get these people to become dependent upon them as intercessors, as helpers. And in actuality, bring them spiritual harm than spiritual help. Paul was saying to these Corinthian believers, No, assuredly, no, assuredly, the grace of God in your life, that just because you have a problem, just because you have a weakness, just because you have a physical condition, just because there is a hardship in your life, doesn't mean, A, that God is displeased with you, B, that you are not in a right relationship with God, or C, that you're not experiencing God's power in your life. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because Paul had learned this truth, he was able to be of great help to others. The book of Corinthians opens with the statement that we are able to comfort others with the comfort that whereby we are able uh, that uh, we are able to comfort others with the great with the comfort with which we receive from God. One of the greatest ways that we can teach each other about grace is by living it, by being an example, by manifesting the power of God that's not seen in strength, but is seen in weakness. So Paul no longer prayed to be healed. Satan had been overcome. What Satan had given in order to torment, God had changed into being a delight. What Satan intended to be a frustration, God used to promote his dependence. What God, what Satan had thought was going to limit the ministry and the effectiveness of the Apostle Paul, God used to actually further Paul's ministry. And bring even greater glory to God. What Paul had learned with respect to the thorn in the flesh, Paul applied to all areas of life. Look with me at verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. And now notice how this is expanded. With insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had learned from this one prayer and this one experience to embrace the sovereignty of God. We've been talking about physical infirmities, but there are other hardships, emotional hardships, psychological hardships. And I don't know what you're experiencing is a difficulty in your life. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be financial. Who knows what it is? But I'm here to tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, God's grace is sufficient. Pray and ask God to remove it, and He might. And He might. If that is in His will, and that brings Him the greatest glory... He's going to remove it. But maybe he doesn't. That doesn't mean you're out of fellowship. That doesn't mean that God is weak. That doesn't mean everything we put our faith in is wrong. But you're going to experience the grace of God in your life in a powerful way if you submit to his will. Conclusion. God has a purpose in all that we endure. Physical, mental, and emotional suffering is not foreign to the child of God. When the child of God cries out unto God, God will either remove the affliction or enable the person to go through the affliction. 
Our weaknesses are an opportunity to both experience and display the power of God. In closing, there was a poem that was found on the dead body of a Confederate soldier in the Civil War. I first read this poem when I was 12 years old. It had a profound impact on me. And I think laid a great foundation for my understanding of prayer. Simply entitled, The Prayer of a Confederate Soldier Who is Unnamed. Don't know who he was. But this is what was found on his body. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I had asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Our God does what is best. Let's pray.